Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Kevin Woodley is going to join us uh, in person here at the rink, which is always a treat. A little bit later, 1.30, that's coming up with Kevin Woodley. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, but before we do that, lengthy, interesting commentary from Rick Talking today. No surprise after the, the team day off yesterday, you know, the, the – Pretty pointed, terse commentary uh, on Tuesday night. So lots to get into with Rick Tockett. And uh, here is the head coach of the Canucks speaking earlier today uh, on Canucks game day. Well, that's the word, Cage, consistency. we gotta, we got to find our consistency back. Um, for me, it's playing – I think um, what's kind of creeped out in our game is uh, we're playing slower. It was kind of like when I first got here. A lot of regroups, a lot of whole people holding on to the puck. And I think when we play faster – um, mentally too, like uh, uh, I guess the mindset for us uh, is when we're playing well. And if you look at our games, last 10 games, it's been some good, some bad, but it's the same thing with our mindset. Sometimes we want to play fast, sometimes we don't. So I think that's really the biggest key for us is to get back on our game. Is that what much of yesterday was spent about? I know day off, not on the ice, but what was some takeaways for the guys yesterday with some conversations or anything like that? Yeah, no, there's a, actually a lot of guys today and, uh, you, you know, even some guys texting, which I love about our team, they'll text that they know that they're not playing well and they, 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 they recognize it. That's what I love about our players is they're accountable. So, um, and, um, you know, we're going to correct it. Coach, you were a right-handed shot that scored a bunch of goals in this league. I'm just watching the way Brock yeah. Besser is blossoming under your tutelage. What have you seen from his game that's allowed that to happen? Well, he's scoring in different spots. <clears throat> you know, it's not just in the slot. Um, I don't know how many goals he's got <laughs> this year, but at least 30% are in front of the net. Um, he's scored some deflection goals. Uh, he's getting them from everywhere. He's scoring on two-on-ones. He's scoring in, the, you know, the high bumper and the power play. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, he's scoring on backdoor plays. So there's five areas right there he's scored where he's just not a one-dimensional. You know, he's got to wait around the slot to score. So, um, and that's, that's a credit to him. Rick, the uh, poise in your own zone the other night was uh, yeah. probably not to the standard you want. What what keys do you give guys when you know it, it's it's hairy in your own zone? You want to be poised and not to run around. Well, it's our tag, right? Meet pressure with pressure. And if you look at that goal, heavy went away from pressure. The pressure, they actually, I think they had, like I said, four guys on the ice. Um, communication, <clears throat> it's something to... We preach a lot. It's something that I've been a little disappointed in the team in is, is our communication. We need guys to talk more. Um, you know, whether it's – to me, that's a reverse or you have time, whatever. It, the, the commands have to be forceful. Um, and whether it's game seven or whether it's, you know, game one in October, you've got to have the same mindset when it comes to those type of plays. And, um, you know, we've gotten away from the communication of, of our team right now. How does the pace of play or the lack thereof tie into you know, pace? Ten, the pace of play, just yeah. pushing pace? How does that tie into potentially like mental fatigue? You guys have just been going so hard for so long. Is, are they tied together? Well, then, then no, you're right. Um, a lot of our feet are pointing towards our end instead of pointing towards their end. So that's predictable hockey. <clears throat> so then what happens if you are tired, <clears throat> shorter shifts, 
changed properly. Like these are the staples we talk about. Yeah, you're going to be tired. You're going to be three and four nights. We've traveled a lot. I get it. Heavy, heavy schedule. That's where the other parts of your game got to be clean. Um, um, so when you do play predictable and uh, you put, you know, put pressure on the team and when there's a time to change, you should change right away to get the other guys in the right position. I think sometimes we take one more last and they try one more time and then we get caught and then guys are tired. I think that's crept in our game. Um, but the pace of play is something that <clears throat> I remember Mike Sullen used to, when I was assistant coach, he said, like, I remember one of the coaches, say, hey, they're, they're, they're tired out there. And he would yell, you can't be tired. You know, you, that's, so it kind of clicks into me. Sometimes you just can't be tired on a play. We need you to hang in there. And I think you got to break the seal sometimes where you just can't be tired. We need you to be dialed in to get this puck out instead of just like, I'm tired. doesn't really matter what happens. Um, and that's a mindset. Does, does Kuzi need to look at how he's had success, or can he look at a guy like Hoaglander and see how he's found his way and found his way the way you need to play? Well, I think both. I think both. You know, I think um, looking at his shifts or looking the way you practice. You know, there's too many times where it's just not Kuzi, a couple other guys, but Kuzi mainly where he, he should be the first guy in the forecheck, and for whatever reason, he always ends up behind everybody. And you can't play that way. You know, the odd time you make a wrong read, I get it. Um, because it makes the other guys in your line play slower. You know, if you're F3 and he's going behind F1, now F3 doesn't know, what do I do now? Like, so, but if he is the guy first on the puck, F3 knows exactly where the puck's going, then he can be aggressive. So that's why, <clears throat> you know, when you look at a guy like Miller, when he plays with guys who, are, who play with pace, it, it really helps Millsy's game. But if he plays with guys that are a little slower, he's going to struggle. So that's why... It's very important that Kuzi understands that if he's F1, he's got to be F1. You can't be F2 or F3. He's got to push the pace. Uh, hi, Coach. Um, just to put the spotlight on you for a second, 500 games as a head coach in the NHL. <clears throat> Can you talk a little bit about your journey? That's really been this 2,000-game uh, journey that's included your time as a <clears throat> player, assistant, and now as a head coach. Just learning from different journeys, different teams, um, different people you've been in contact with, guys I've worked under, organizations. You know, uh, learning a lot, um, you know, you know, learning from some of the best coaches in the league, uh, some of the best players. Like, even learning from our players here, we got, you know, really good hockey players that I've learned a lot from. So it's uh, – and even the coaches in the past. Um, and you try to put yourself in – you know, there's going to be different times of the season. You know, teams not playing well. You know, what, what can you do something different? Hey, team's playing well. What can you do to consist, make it sustainable? Should you have a day off? These are the things that you pick up over the years that uh, from experience from talking to other people and seeing what's work. And then also being, uh, you know, out of the box thinkers. Like I, I like uh, thinking of different ways. You know, do, do you practice two D through two D three eight days in a row? No, I don't believe in that. I think maybe it's okay to practice really hard, have a day off and then play a game. Like sometimes maybe five years ago, you know, I, I like, oh, you're crazy to do that. But now I think, it's a good way of, of, of your temperament or your team. So those are the things you pick up from some of the experienced people you've worked with. Uh, JT was a, a bit late coming out. Of yeah. I think you might have been as well. Anything to that? No, nothing. No, we, we actually were talking about a, a system thing, and I, we just got lost in time. So, yeah, that was just something. I, it was important that we talked. It was, it was something that he wanted to talk. It was, it was great. So, yeah, no, it was, that was it. No big deal. What about um, – it looks like you're going with, with DeSmith tonight. Yes. Um, 
you've given Thatcher kind of his longest run of the season. He played eight of his last nine. Yeah. Uh, giving up a few more goals than usual in the last three. Are you seeing anything there that makes you want to go back to Casey quick here? No, it's not him. I, I think it's our team thing. We're giving a lot of those tap-ins to the side, a la that game, uh, the sixth goal. I've seen a lot more of those where, you know, you're getting that backdoor goal again. It's crept in our game. And I think, um, so in all fairness to Thatcher, there's a lot of those goals. There's nothing he can do. we got to give him a chance. That's why I like him playing. We, our team defense should let him play half the net. And lately, we're, we're, he's playing post to post, like, uh, you know, like that goal. Like the, there's been too many of those tap-ins to the side. And every coach, but mainly me, that's my biggest pet peeve defensively. When you give a, a, a team an easy goal to the side of the net, it, it drives me nuts, and we got to clean that up. Last one for me, just uh, PK, last eight games. Yeah. It's slipped a little bit. I think you've given up goals in seven of your last eight. Is there something specific you've seen there? Um, when to be aggressive or not, we're caught in between again. It's almost like our team right now. We're caught in when to be aggressive and when not. Um, couple of, we, we changed a couple of things for tonight, but I think uh, we're, we're obviously giving up the middle a little bit too much, like uh, that goal uh, the other night. There's been too many of those type of goals which I thought we were better at the first 10, 15 games of the year. Um, and I haven't looked at the stats, but it seems like a lot of teams are scoring near the end of the power, the pen, uh, their power play. Um, and I think that's – I think I told you guys a couple of days, our clears have not been good this year. Like when we've had time to get the puck down the, down the zone, we have not been consistently getting that puck out. And I think that, that's a, probably – I think Yosi said there was about eight goals that we just gave freebies because of that. So if you take eight, just even if you take half of that, five power play goals that we go to, our penalty kill goals because of that, all of a sudden, instead of being, what are we, 20-something, maybe you're like 13th that doesn't look as bad. So it's the freebies for me. It uh, looks like Nils Hugliner is going to be moving up the yeah. lineup to start this game. From day one of you coming into training camp this year to this point in the season, what's changed in his game that's giving him this opportunity? Well, I, I think that uh, his energy, I thought last game for me um, – there was some. There was one encouraging time. He actually got a puck, and he had the puck by himself. We had a change, and he he entered the blue line. And usually, I've seen in the past where he tries something, he loses the puck, and the other team went the other way. And he held the puck. He took it low, and he held the puck. Um, two guys were on him. He had the technique that he's been working on, and he held. He held. He gave the Petey. Actually, Petey tried to throw in front, or, or Petey had two chances. He made. It was a great play, Pete, somebody in front, or he could have gave it to Mizey, either one. But my point was that he's been working on that, and he didn't lose the puck there. That's a step in the right direction. You know, now, now it's the consistency for Hoggy is to continue to do those little things because it's a, the, the, that's part of it. And he's playing with Milsey. Like, if he can be a, if he can be a four-checker tonight and, F, like, help Milsey on the – they're going to get a lot of puck possession. Uh, speaking of the other – the Niels Amon, the other Niels um... – with him coming coming into this league now, I know he's getting some penalty kill time from you. Uh, you know, getting some minutes here up and down as the kind of season goes on. But what is it about his game that's keeping him in the lineup every night that you're liking? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think this Seattle game was his best since he's been here. Um, you know, I think for him, he's got to play a fast style of game, and he's struggled a bit. And it's the same thing with our team. It, sometimes his feet are pointing; he's pointing not the right way. Like, he's, he's waiting, and I want him to play a very fluid game of playing fast, you know, dictating where the puck goes. That's when he's at his best. When I showed him, we showed him the Seattle game. He was just first on the puck. Now he's waiting, playing a waiting game. So um, we don't want him to wait. If he goes offside, I'll live with that, like, instead of him waiting, waiting. So 
um, need him to get back to playing fast too. He, it's it's a product of our team right now. Rick, in the first month of the season, your ability at the top of your lineup with that five-man group we've talked about a lot, Miller, Hironic, yeah, Hughes, to match up against the best of the best and <clears throat> at least come out ahead and usually – well, sorry, at least come out even, but usually come out ahead was, was pretty key. Um, has that part of your game taken on a little bit of water of late because you did switch up sort of the defense pair yeah. that, that matched up with the top line and you've got a run of really strong top lines coming in over the next – week and a half um is that something you're looking for answers well i I think if we like and i know i've said it 10 times here about playing a faster game i think we're and you know huggy is is part of it and heronic we're playing a little bit they're playing a little slower now maybe we've given them too much minutes and they're holding on pucks and i think when you play slower they've had to defend more teams are starting to like teams are smart they, they, there's great coaches over there. They're going to go, hey, when we play those guys, we're going to dump the puck in their corner, um, and we're going to get on the forecheck. And so I think if they understand the odd time, it's okay to rim a puck, or it's okay to just flip the puck out and set it. We don't always have to make a play. And I think we've had to defend more, especially with those guys, because of the other teams. They're keying on. I know, you know, I know Heinze very well. He's got 43 on the board circled. And we're going to do this against them. So I think we got to counteract um, those type of things. And that's getting the puck out of your end as quick as possible and, and playing the other way. That's what I think. Coach, I believe you crossed paths with John, uh, John Hines in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What have you seen from the wild under the new head coach? <clears throat> yeah, I, I just know Hines really well. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh. And uh, actually, I saw him this year uh, in Tampa when he was, he was there for um, – it was out with him a couple hours. He's a he's a very detailed guy. He's a very smart guy, out of box thinker. Um, you know, it's not surprising. You know, and, I, and listen, I get it. You know, I, I went through when I came here. I know everybody's on guard and players play. It's that whatever you guys call that coaches bump. But he's an intelligent guy, um, and he's got a certain way of coaching that I really agree with. And um, you know, I think it's a. I mean, I actually like Dean Evanson, too. I think he's a great coach, too. But I think it's a great hire by Billy. He's a, he's a smart guy. You know, he, he has he, Put it this way, the team will be prepared like they've been in the past. They will be prepared. Rick, you confirmed to Smith and Gold. It's same yeah. six, same six D tonight. Yes. And is Phil DiGiuseppe back in? Yeah, Phil's in. For Carlson. Yes. With DiGiuseppe, do we call that a reset the last couple of games? And, like... Kuzmenko had his reset. Are all resets the same, or are you know are you looking for different guys to sort of take different messages from being out of the lineup? Yeah, I think resets are good when the player says, "Yeah, man, I needed this reset," or "I know what I have to do better to." Like, you know, sometimes you have a reset with a player and he doesn't agree with it. And so far, now maybe I don't know. Every guy that I've, hey man, you're right. Like, but but Jesus Epi is a type of guy. He knows he has to. He's got to play like he did at the beginning of the year, like he did last year. A little bit more, not, I hate to use the word survival, but a little bit more um, his style of play. First on the fourth shot, coming up with loose pucks, blocking shots, getting off the ice. I mean, that's his style of play that, that made him stick with us, not in Abbotsford. So I think he's got to get back to that a little bit more and just instead of worrying about five things in his game, just worry about two or three things. And I think that will get his game back. And he's going to help us tonight. Like, I, I, I know he's going to play well tonight. Like, he's had some really good practices. 
That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, as mentioned, getting into lots and lots of different things uh, with the Vancouver media today, and I think some some Minnesota media in there as well before they take on the Wild. And the overall theme, I thought, of that availability drancer uh, beyond you and Tockett having a throat clearing competition. Yeah, in, in the middle, you guys. Not no. <laughs> it's like you know how people say like uh, yawning is contagious. I am not on my game today. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just couldn't stop doing it. Um, <laughs> oh, and then and then I'm just like, oh man, I've gone nowhere with this question. I'm just gonna like sometimes this is a good lesson for young journalists. Sometimes when you're like duffing a question and you're mid duff, don't keep duffing. Just it. wrap it up. Just be like, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this hot mess I've served up to you? Well, no, I, I, no honestly, no. I was close to a good question. I just didn't quite get there. Um, but <laughs> the theme, uh, and we'll, look, we're, we only have a couple minutes here in this segment. We'll, we'll continue to dive into what Tockett had to say uh, in the next segment before Kevin Woodley joins us at 1.30. But really the theme was just regression overall to, you know, what, how often did he reference in that availability things are creeping back into our game? It looks like when I first got here, right? Like, and, you know, we heard him hit a lot of things that we've heard uh, consistently from Rick Tockett, starting with, you know, communication. Guys need to talk more. Guys need to be more forceful out there. We're playing slow, right? Shifts. Hey, yeah, you're tired. That's great. But you're taking your, you know, you're staying out there too long and it's putting the next guys at a disadvantage when they get out there. And I thought that was just very noticeable, you know, beyond the specifics. And we can get into a lot of them and, you know, what he had to say about Kuzmenko's game and what Hoaglander needs to do and all of those things. But, a lot of, and Tockett acknowledged it, like a lot of what we would have heard from Tockett last year when he came in and was really starting to try uh, to put his stamp on this team, that's a lot of what he had to say today as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting moment that the Canucks are in because they, I mean, they're 16-9-1, and right? Mm-hmm. I, like, this is still a team that's performed exceptionally well. They're second in the NHL by goal difference. Uh, and yet, you could tell after that loss against the Devils that they were really disappointed, that they were angry with how, where with where their game is at and, frankly, where their game has trended over the last little bit. I, I thought that was notable, and I, I thought Tockett's commentary in, in every respect reflected that. The, the Kuzmenko bits, I thought, were the most pointed by far, and we'll dwell on that, I'm mm-hmm. sure, both with Kevin Woodley in yep. segment four and in the next segment. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, again, you know, we, we kind of had this conversation after the Devils game, you and I, and you were making the point like, hey, this team is still in a really strong position. You know, hopefully fans can kind of look at that game and just focus on the entertainment aspect rather than the disappointing result. But as you said, the team itself was really disappointed. We know Tockett was really disappointed after the game. And I think that stems from the fact that these issues might be uncharacteristic if you focus on this season, although to hear Tockett say it, and I think there's some truth to this, right? He's looking at the last kind of 10 games or so of them, of uh, some of these bad habits really creeping back in, but they're not uncharacteristic if you extend the timeline back to certainly the end of the Bruce Boudreau era, era, but even, you know, the Boudreau bump era and all of that. So I think that's where the extra concern comes in and the disappointment, because you're right. If you just limit your analysis to this season, then on balance, they've played very, very well, and they're still yeah. they're prohibitive favorites to make the playoffs. But I think what Talkett is talking about there, and maybe what the disappointment from the players is coming from, is that they know if you go back just a little bit farther than that, then it's these things aren't coming out of nowhere, right? They're not right. coming out of left field. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's such an interesting factor in how this team is analyzing itself, is there's this beast 
from the past almost. Mm. You know what I mean? That they're like trying to outrun. Oh yeah, or like yeah. keep caged. Yeah. You know, and, and every now and then like uh like the beast in the basement just like bangs the door, you know what I mean? And everyone's like yep. what's that? <laughs> well what was that? <laughs> but I don't know, man. Like I just fundamentally think I just fundamentally think what we should be looking at is Tockett's tenure. Like, if we're looking for a larger sample... Just extend it to Tockett. Just extend it to Tockett's 53 games here, you know? And you look at that, and this team's performed pretty well. Um, You know, I I was sort of talking about this with a Canucks player in the locker room where where it's like, you know, I, I, I thought they had such a bad defensive game, but it's hard for me against New Jersey, but it's hard for me to analyze it in some ways because it's like if you make... 23 of 26 shots or 23 of 25 shots and the shots that you miss are narrow misses mm-hmm. and then airball your 26 shot I'm not going to say you can't shoot mm. and that's basically what I feel like we've seen from the Canucks defensively this season for the most part this has been a very hard team to break down and then all of a sudden we saw the New Jersey can opener so it's hard for me to even accept the like big slippage sort of um, sort of take here because I just kind of feel like it was a burn the tape game uh, this texture says uh, Drance just rimmed it out when he was in trouble asking his question. You didn't try to make a play. You're like, I'm in trouble. I'm just going to flip it out. 100%. I'm going to live to fight another day. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Rick, exactly. And that's right. why Rick Talkin approved of the question, <laughs> clearly. Uh, we will take a break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll get into what Rick Talkin had to say about Andre Kuzmenko. I want to continue our conversation a little bit from yesterday as well about how this team can go about uh, matching up against the other team's best players because – now with Niels Hoaglander playing next to JT Miller, I wonder if we might see a bit of a switch in that area. So that's coming up, plus Kevin Woodley at 1.30. Here it is, Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here at Rogers Arena. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Live from the mobile Kintech studio here at Rogers Arena. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, We heard from Rick Tockett in the last segment, and uh, as mentioned, lots of interesting nuggets there from Rick Tockett. But obviously, one of the key questions today, and you know, especially after seeing where Kuzmenko was going to slot in the lineup, was going to be about Andre Kuzmenko. And, you know, (laughs) hopefully uh, Tockett would have a little bit more to illuminate on the situation after his short answer on Tuesday night. And he did, you know. He, on Tuesday, he said he needs the forecheck. Let's start with that. And in his commentary today, he got into kind of more depth about specifically what he means about forechecking and what Kuzmenko's role is inherently going to be as a winger on this team and the way he is not getting it done in Rick Tockett's eyes uh, right now, Drancer. Yeah, I mean, the the impact that it has on the speed with which yep. the team plays, that was really a, a very clear point of emphasis yep. from Talkit today was was we got to play faster. Um, I think that's right, by the way. I mean, we talked about it earlier uh, this week where, you know, I thought that the Flames even had had maybe a little too easy a time opening the Canucks up mm-hmm. given how, how toothless the Flames are. That's just because they're old. But nonetheless, right? 
Um, so, you know, I, th- I thought it was interesting commentary for sure that the speed angle kept creeping in uh, sort of globally, but then specifically with his frustration at Kuzmenko's game and what Kuzmenko needs to do differently. Um, you know, uh, look, we'll, we're entering this series of games here that I feel have, an, have a chance to be, you know, I don't want to go as far as saying something like defining but are going to loom large over what our expectations will be for this team the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's nice, like my 30-game milestone that I sort of start to get confident uh, in terms of projecting what a team is. I think it's useful that they're going to be such high-caliber opponents, right? We're looking at Minnesota. We're looking at Carolina. We're looking at Tampa. We're looking at Florida. Florida. Yeah. I mean, that's a, these are a measure. this is a measuring stick sequence, one that we've been – circling on the calendar from the very outset of the season. I mean, mm-hmm. and and it's shaped up that way. You know, Minnesota maybe hasn't performed up to expectations. Tampa Bay maybe hasn't. But honestly, none of these teams have necessarily been, with the exception of Florida, who just absolutely dusted. I know it was an, ended up being a one-score game, but they were so much better than the Dallas Stars last night. Um, even though those teams have underperformed relative to our lofty expectations of them, they're still extremely difficult opponents. And this is a Canucks team that, you know, I think one of our remaining questions, right, as we sort through this is, I think we know that the Canucks can dummy your average team. Like, the Canucks can dummy your average team, and they can absolutely dummy your average goaltender if you're not on your Mm. game night to night. What I think we still need to be convinced of is, can the Canucks hang with the best of the best? Right? We saw in a stretch where they played the Rangers really tough, and they they blanketed the Dallas Stars. But that was this, like, seven-game stretch that now feels divorced from the rest of the campaign, right? I mean, there was this, from Nashville to the Edmonton Oilers 6-1 win, the Canucks were riding a historic percentage heater and were just looking like the 1980s Oilers. But increasingly, that feels like a version of this team that's not as reflective of who they are as what we've seen in the 19 other games where they've looked like a good team, a playoff-caliber team perhaps, but not... A contender. Well, and, you know, looking specifically at the next four games, if they go 2-2 two and two in these games, which given the quality of the opponent, even on home ice, is not like a disaster no. stretch or anything, but all of a sudden you'll be talking about, what, like a 17-game stretch where you're a game under 500? You know what I mean? They're 6-7 and seven in their last 13 right now. So that's a pretty significant stretch of disappointing results, especially considering what it was following on the schedule. And, again, that's – if you go 500 in these next four games, which uh, are against some some pretty good teams, they have to. Like, you're first of all, you're going to lose 500. The next four games will cause you to lose contact with the Kings and the and the Golden Knights at the top of the Pacific Division standings. I mean, the Canucks are already at risk of that, just based off what they've done the last 13. But that would cement it. If you if you only pick up four points from your next four games, you know you're you're out uh, in terms of being a real contender to win the mm. division i think the uh, sorry no sorry, go ahead but then but then there's the other question which is you know we've seen what the edmonton oilers are doing they're winning every game right now um you know i i know i never sold my edmonton oilers stock and i'm, I'm pleased about it even as i'm worried about my kraken buy uh, so you know i i do think the like worse than that and you're going to start to open the door for especially given you know the this game against minnesota and the yep. fact you play them again and how difficult and compressed your sort of road trip schedule is right before Christmas, I think you're going to start to open the door for wider discussions about this team, you know, maybe ending up in a wild card spot uh, if they can't, you know, get back to 
again, not the form that they had in that historic seven-game run, but, you know, at least something firmer than what we've seen the last month. Just on Kuzmenko again from uh, what Rick Tockett had to say, and as you said, you know, specifically the fact that he is not getting in as the F1 on the forecheck, and that slows the whole team down. Again, the contrast, and, and Rick Tockett brought this up himself with what Niels Hoaglander was doing playing next to JT Miller in that third period against the Devils and how much Hoaglander's speed and ability on the forecheck helped JT Miller. And I do think it was, you know, we've talked a lot about, okay, what is this team's offensive identity? What's their bread and butter going to be? And even going back to Bruce Boudreau, when they've been playing at their best offensively, typically it has been because of a strong forecheck. And, you know, you look at the third period against the Devils, it wasn't as if they were executed. You know, they weren't, like, really crisp through the neutral zone necessarily. No. It was getting the puck in, coming in with speed, winning those battles, and then getting it to the high-danger areas of the ice, right? That was what they were able to do. And you got to think, you know, it's such an emphasis, and we even heard Rick Tockett say, like, look, sometimes when you're coming out of your own zone and you're under pressure, don't try to make a play. Get it out. Rim it around the boards. Flip it out uh, and go try to try to play from there. And it does still feel like, does Andre Kuzmenko fit that identity, right? Is he capable of playing up to the level Rick Tockett wants if that's going to be the offensive focus for this team, right? Coming in with speed on the forecheck versus, you know, making east-west more horizontal plays in the neutral zone to gain the zone. Yeah, and I think it's a particularly – like, that's a question that looms particularly large because you're not getting Elias Pettersson quality feeds playing with – Neil or JT Miller quality feeds playing mm-hmm. with Neil Zaman and Phil DiGiuseppe. I mean, it's going to be a different game. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe can be your F1. We've seen how effective yes. he can be in that role. Uh, I think uh, Neil Zaman's pretty effective as like an F3 sort of coming in in layers, but that still requires Kuzmenko to be the guy, you know, who stops the puck if, if you're going to get those turnovers. Like, you know, this is an interesting one because we've seen how Niels Hoaglander's puck battle winning ability and high energy game can translate into offense in a fourth line role. But Kuzmenko's a different type of player, and I, I, you know, I'm really curious to see what it looks like with him playing with a, a pair of guys who I think, you know, I, I mean, I buy Di Giuseppe as like a middle six rate scorer, five on five. Yeah. But Niels Amon has never shown us much in the way of offensive upside, at, at, you know, at five on five in the NHL. We've seen some nice plays off the rush, but no, no sustained, like, heavy zone time sorts of shifts, and you know, if we're thinking about what Kuzmenko's game is, it, it, it relies on that creativity in zone, uh, which I, I don't think that's either Di Giuseppe or Amon's bread and butter. That's not even a hot take. That's just true. So, you know, it, it is going to be an interesting spot to see how Kuzmenko is able to, like if Kuzmenko is able to find ways to generate or, or drive uh, on that line, given you know the caliber of line mates that he's playing with, yeah, I think it's a really interesting question because we've seen it with Connor Garland. Okay, he's not fitting in in the top six. He ha- he's never been able to fit in on the top six in during his tenure in Vancouver with whatever center. But you put him on a third line, and, and all he of a sudden, can drive. It. He has more responsibility as the playmaker, and he's creative enough and has that level and that that ability to drive that third line. We've never really seen Andre Kuzmenko be in that position to drive play and be the creative focus, right? The most skilled player on a bottom six line where it's your job to go out and try to find a way to get some offensive juice out of Neil Zaman, yeah, right? Elevate Support your teammates. Phil Giuseppe. Yeah, yeah, elevate your teammates. Now, 
in some ways, it's a like if you wanted to put a real positive spin on it, it's like, well, that's an opportunity for Andre Kuzmenko to show that he has something else in his toolbox, to show that it's, hey, I'm not just a passenger of Elias Pettersson. If you have to move me down the lineup, I can still find ways to provide value. It's just given what we've seen from him and what we've heard Rick Tockett say, like I think it's fair also to be skeptical to wonder about how's that going to go uh, for Andre Kuzmenko tonight. Yeah, look, I at some point, at some point, he's got to make the case. It's yeah. really that simple. Um, the other thing I find interesting about tonight, and you know, you asked Rick talking about, okay, how are you going to match up with the top end of the lineup with Niels Hoaglander moving up to play with JT Miller and Brock Besser? And you know, we saw how much success they had chasing the game against the Devils, and Hoaglander really, you know, launching in on the forecheck uh, with a lot of abandon in a good way. I still don't know if as much as Rick Tockett likes what he's seen from Hoaglander, if he's going to be comfortable using him in those really tough matchups. But then you look and Elias Pettersson all of a sudden has McKayev and Lafferty on his wings, and you start to think, well, those guys might make a lot more sense as the wingers in a, in a matchup role. So I do wonder if we start to see, you know, I know it's been like there's been times where they've had to go away from JT Miller and use Pettersson against the other team's top line. I wonder if we see that right from puck drop tonight, given that Patterson is playing between Ilya Mikheyev and Sam Lafferty? I I'm, I think we should. Uh, you know, we've seen this team grope around for answers, including playing Patterson with – or, sorry, playing Miller with Zadorov Myers. But at some point, especially given the defensive calibration of Patterson's line mates at the moment, like, don't we have to see Hironic Hughes Patterson as a five-man unit against the top of – like, that's something we haven't seen yet. The Canucks have been, I said, taking on water, but, you know, I'd say bleeding out, frankly, in, in these really, like, best-on-best best matchups uh, in recent weeks. You know, I, I think dramatic action is called for. I, I'd love to see – I'd love to see the club approach the Kaprizov line with Pedersen, Hughes, Ronick, just as a barometer. I, I think it'll give you a lot of information about what your options are, and at this point, that's what this cl- club needs because they – I mean, they're desperate. They need answers, period. And I think not just from a taking on tough matchups point of view, but if you're looking for ways to create those high-danger offensive chances that we've talked about that Rick Tockett wants to see more of, like Hughes and Pedersen, going back to their first year in the league together, whenever those guys are on the ice, Vancouver tends to have a lot of the puck in the offensive zone and be creating high-danger chances, right? Mm. Like they, like When those guys are out there together, that's been a, a very, very – strong recipe for success for the Canucks. And so I wonder if not only now, and you know, and that was in a time where the Canucks supporting cast, I think was not as impressive or not as strong as it is right now. And they were still able to tilt the ice and generate those scoring chances. So I, I think your best bet, if you want a, a unit that's, that's going to not just go up and hold their own against other teams, top lines, but be able to play in the right end of the rink get the puck into dangerous areas, maybe con- uh, convert some of those chances. Like, I think you kind of need, you might need to stack Hughes and Pedersen on the ice together because we've seen that be so consistently successful throughout their careers. Yeah, although we've never seen it be consistently successful. In fact, we've never seen them get the opportunity to do it as a best-on-best unit. Yeah, as a matchup unit. Right, like in, in the past when the Canucks have been sort of using them uh, with discipline together as uh, as a group um, or, or sort of self-matching Pedersen with Hughes – it's it's tended to be with a punt going on, uh, you know, a bottom six line being thrown to the Wolves in, in a tough matchup. 
um, and and relying on Hughes and Pedersen to drive positive goal differential. What we haven't sort of seen is them be entrusted with the responsibility or the challenge of overwhelming the opponent's best. Um, and given how significant those matchup issues have been for this team over the last two weeks, like, yeah, let's see it. Let's see it. I'd love to see that be the approach tonight. And I think the calibration we now have of these on these lines, which is, you know, Miller playing with a more offensively mm-hmm. Miller and Besser playing with a more offensively calibrated line mate as opposed to playing with a Phil D. Giuseppe type. Um, and Pedersen playing with two guys who are super reliable defensively. Yep. Um, you know, both fast, have, reliable, like you know, one, big, and both have finished at an extraordinary rate. But true. like, neither is a, a top line offensive driver, right? Uh, you know, I, I'd very, I'm very curious to see it. It does feel like that's the shape that the Canucks are going to be in or, or or be taking going into this game anyway. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense again, especially with uh, with Niels Hoglander. I mean, I thought it was fascinating what. Rick Talkin had to say the praise he gave to Hoaglander specifically about how he unlocks JT Miller's game and how much more JT Miller can thrive when he has that element of speed, right? Someone to get him the puck. And I mean, obviously we all saw how it played out uh, against uh, against the Devils on Tuesday night. So no surprise there to hear the praise from Rick Talkin from Niels Hoaglander who moves up the lineup and gets a chance in the top six at least to start the game. We'll see. We saw a lot of juggling on Tuesday yeah, against we, the Devils. We see a lot of juggling from Taki yeah. when things don't go his way. I mean, that's natural and normal. And, oh, yeah. You know, he found a few things against the Devils, to his credit. Yeah, he definitely found uh, a few things uh, against the Devils. No doubt about that one. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. One one last thing I'm going to be really curious to see how the Myers-Zadorov pair mm. is deployed after... You know what I thought was a pretty tough performance? Uh, I mean, I don't think that's a hot take either. I shouldn't don't have to say tough uh, or like what I thought. Like it was a tough outing yep. for that pair. Um, they were tasked with a really tough matchup. Do we see them try that again or have we seen enough of that? I've seen enough of that. I hope the Canucks coaching staff has seen enough of that, but I'm curious to see how it actually plays it out. It would be surprising, I would think, to get them out there in, in tough minutes again after how it went, especially because, as we talked about off the top of the show, right, like there is a speed element to what Zuccarello and Kaprizov can do to you, right? Mm. So it's not that dissimilar from uh, what they were facing against the Devils on Tuesday. So that would be a big surprise, but again, I think it's going to depend on you know, do they go for the kind of five-man unit with Hughes, Hronick, and Elias Pettersson? Do they try to get Hughes, Hronick out there in more offensive situations? How do they use Ian Cole and Noah Juleson as well? Like, how much confidence do they have in Noah Juleson to be out there in tougher minutes? And, you know, to get back into the uh, the Ethan Bear side of things, right? I mean, as we talked about earlier in the show during the whiteboard, the reporting from Elliot Friedman and Rick Dollywall suggests not that the Canucks are out of the running to sign Ethan Bear, but they're, they're maybe no longer the favorites, uh, and that they, uh, you know, there's some factors, including cap space, that are working against them in their attempts to sign Ethan Bear. You know, if Ethan Bear doesn't come in at some point and join this lineup, even with Carson Soucy coming back and, you know, maybe sending Noah Juleson back to the press box, if you have everyone healthy, like, I think it's still a difficult puzzle to put together at that point for Adam Foote and the rest of the Canucks coaching staff. Because then you'll have four left-handed guys, right? You'll have Hughes, Cole, Susie, and Nikita Zadorov. And a bunch of them have experience playing on the right side. But we've still seen the the coach, uh, the coaching staff be reluctant to go to that. And, you know, if you are if you keep Hughes, Hronick together, what's the, the second pairing that you have the most confidence that you're assembling together out of 
Cole, Zadorov, Myers, and Susie. Like uh, they're going to have to figure that out on the fly. But again, it's you. You'll be excited to get the talent upgrade when Carson Susie comes back into the lineup. We talked about it yesterday. You can see the impact he's had not in the lineup, but it's going to be a difficult puzzle to fit together as well, even when he is back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And you're going to have to see someone probably move over to the right side uh, without yeah, question. You have to. Uh, especially if the team's I don't know who that's going to be, but like... Well, it's Cole's got to be, because he's got the most experience. Yeah. Although he was on the right side, like he was on the wrong side of the ice when he when he punted it, mm. and, and it didn't really work out for the team the other night. So, look, Cole's got the most experience playing the right side. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see it now, man. I'm not going to... I'm not going to mince words here. Like, Wolanin's now back in the Abbotsford lineup. Um, I I understand that Juleson's probably sticking around in part because his PK results are better than most of his mm. teammates. Um, but, you know, for me anyway, like a Zadorov-Cole pair uh, with Myers-Wolanin, which we've seen work as a third pair in the past, you know, that that's something that I'd certainly be curious to see if the Canucks get to a point where they're trying it. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, JY texts in this question. He says, is it fair to start questioning the degree of alignment between management and coaching? No. Considering the amount of investment placed into a winger that everyone can see is not a talkit type of player. And, of course, that's Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, you'd, you'd have to find when exactly Kuzmenko was signed, but he was signed in January, wasn't he? He was signed in January. And Rick Talkett was hired in January. Yeah, like, it was they were, right around They the were almost time. concurrent. So, you know, I, look. I, I I mean, how much has Niels Hoaglander had to work? Like, how much success has Niels Hoaglander had to have to get this look in the top six? Mm-hmm. And I know people can say, oh, this is defensive zone coverage or whatever, uh, whatever, whatever ephemera you'd prefer to mention. But, like, Garland can't buy a break, can't buy a chance in the top six. That's unavailable to him. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, any guy that this organization acquires, like Hironix, stapled to Hughes, Lafferty you know, open invite <laughs> into the top six. Um, Mikheyev locked in with Patterson on and on. Kuzmenko getting more rope than certainly. Can you imagine if Niels Hoaglander had had the campaign that yeah. Andre, he, like he'd be in Abbotsford, he'd be traded already. So, you know, I, I think you can already see, I think the alignment's extremely obvious. Any Anyone this organization acquires gets plum opportunities from the coach. That to me is what alignment looks like. I also think... I think we have to be careful of... Okay, is it fair to say that Kuzmenko is not like what Rick Tockett dreams of when he dreams of an archetypal winger to play in the NHL? Yeah, that's probably fair. But we've also heard Rick Tockett talk at length about the time he has for the player, right? The realization he knows what Andre Kuzmenko can do, the work he's putting in with the player. And I don't want to get too far into this idea that like Rick Tockett doesn't like skilled players or wants to prevent them from doing skilled things. I don't think that's what's going on here with Andre Kuzmenko. I think he would love for Andre Kuzmenko to be out there making some really high skill plays and unlocking defenses. He just needs to see the other things too, right? So yeah, maybe it's not the perfect fit between player and system, but I, I still, even with his, how it's gone, like I still think there's a world where if Andre Kuzmenko checks those boxes that Rick Tockett has kind of put in front of him, that he can be out there, you know, back to doing his dekes and setting and, you know, backhand spinning passes to Elias Pettersson in the offensive zone. Like, I don't think it's that when Andre Kuzmenko is at the absolute top of his game, that Rick Tockett doesn't have time for him. I think he's just trying to make sure he gets to there and he's doing those other things, right? Like, uh, I think that's I an would, important difference. I would say, though, that the frustration is clearly set in. Oh, there, no, there's yeah. no doubt about that. But again, like, I think 
just because Andre Kuzmenko is going to do most of his damage as a really skilled offensive player, I don't think that in and of itself means that Rick Tockett doesn't have time for the No, no, no. You know what I mean? And I think there's this idea, like, oh, Tockett, he doesn't have time for skilled players. He doesn't know how to coach offense. And I actually heard Claude Julien, uh, of course, former NHL coach, on the Jeff Merrick show today, and Merrick asked him about, like, your reputation as just structure coach. And one of the things Julian said was there's this this misunderstanding that if you're a really structured coach, you're kind of trying to prevent your skill players from doing things. It's like, that's not what it is. It's about putting them in a position to succeed where they have the puck more and they're able to do those really impressive things uh, on a more consistent basis. And I think there's a similar thing here with talking. It's not that he's allergic to guys trying things on offense. It's just there's some staples, as he would say. There's some other things that have to be checked off as well. Yeah, also, I mean, this is a team where your number one minutes guy, five on fives, Brock Besser, skill guy, Playing, playing hard matchups. JT Miller's two. Elias Pettersson's three. Yep. You know, Quinn Hughes and Heronik are leading the defense core in minutes. Like, come on. Uh, he runs the power play himself, and the yep. power play's improved under his tutelage. Yeah, guys like Latang and company all swear by him. I, I, you know, I don't I – don't, I, I think that's always – it's just like the dump and chase stuff that Green dealt with. You know, it's like – I mean, he's running power play one in New Jersey now. You know, the idea that the idea that coaches can't work with skilled players or don't like skilled players isn't isn't the case. Coaches like guys they can win with, period. They just want to win. It's really not very complicated. <laughs> uh, all right, we will take a break here. You can keep getting your thoughts in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Kevin Woodley, our guy from NHL.com, and In Goal Magazine joins us in person here at Rogers Arena. That's coming up next on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Now joining us in the booth here at Rogers Arena from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. He is a uh, presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Nice. Yeah. You got it. My yeah. efforts are paying off. I heard your uh, your commercial on the air the other day, and I was like, ooh, I got a note. How does he say it here? So <laughs> I, I'm hopeful that I have now learned officially how to pronounce it. Uh, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I mean, this is a good day for me, right? Yeah. Like Andre Fleury, as much as I would like to see him play, is not starting, which means he's out late. Yeah. Which means when he comes off, he's got to see me, right? Like, <laughs> I even joked, I'm like, you stayed out late because you knew you'd have to talk to me after. <laughs> and he politely said, no, no, I like talking to you. Yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> he, he's a, the nicest guy in the NHL oh, for a reason. 100%. Okay, can, can we talk? One thing I'm looking forward to watching, one of my favorite things to watch in a, before an NHL game, every time I watch a game that Marc-Andre Fleury either plays or backs up, is involved in any way. At the end of a warm-up skate, Right, at the end of the pregame warm-up skate, Mark Andre Fleury removes the net, no, no, like without fail. He removes the net and puts it to the side for the off uh, for the ice crew, so that it's e- easy to take off uh, after like morning skates and stuff. Have you ever seen this? I, you know what? Like there aren't many things about Mark Andre Fleury that I thought you were going to talk about last puck. Like he's the only goalie that when he starts still plays last, last puck, puck. And yeah. we actually talked about that again, but. 
no, not, he, not he, surprised. He removes the net. It's amazing. It's so it's such a like sweet little detail. You know what? We're talking about a thousand games because he's coming up yep. to that milestone yeah. soon. And as much as he's you know chasing down second all time in wins, like you know, talk to Luongo about what a thousand games. Like, there's only three, what, three, four guys that have reached a thousand He'll game be the milestone. Fourth. So like that's a big that's one, incredible. right? And and he talked about you know longevity and the but he also made it made sure to go out of his way to talk about all the training staffs and the guys that help him stay healthy on a day-to-day basis so that he can play these games. Like, that's just – and he talked about why he's like this, mm. why he th- – watch tonight after warm-ups. He'll find some kids in the stands and throw them pucks because he was a kid in the stands when he watched Marty Berger do the same thing, right? Like, so who – like, who he is and how remarkable a person he is and how good a goaltender he is is all sort of formed by those experiences. And the beauty of, of Flowers, he'll talk to you about them, right? Yeah. Like he talked today about his dad, about being away in junior and being homesick way back when. Yeah. And his dad said, hey, well, if, you don't, if you're not having fun, just come home. And to this day, it sounds like such a cliche. But right down to last puck and playing it even when he's starting – Fun remains a key principle for Mark Andre Fleury, and that's why, if his body allows him, like I'm not so sure this is it. Um, you know, that's a question mark in terms of the health, but like he still loves the yeah. game. He still has this huge smile on his face. He's getting inundated by stupid goalie questions from yours truly. It's just, <laughs> it's awesome. I, I love the guy. I love watching him, and and I love seeing him climb. It reminds me of Lou. We aren't supposed to cheer as media, right? We don't cheer for teams, but we do cheer, I find, for good people and good stories. And Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, sort of in the mold of Luongo, is somebody I've gotten to know and I believe is a good person and a great story. And so I cheer for that. You know, you mentioned Luongo as well and that incredible longevity from the goaltending position. And look, lasting that long in any position in the NHL is really, really tough. What sets it apart for goalies in particular, though? Like, like it's how just much? How difficult it is for that for how them mu- to do it? How much the position has changed? Yeah. And if you don't constantly evolve, you won't. If you don't stay ahead of it, you're falling behind. And it's sort of. Uh, and again, we talked about this today. It's sort of a common bond between him and Luongo. They were constantly looking to get better and evolve. And right down to. I knew that there were other media around today, so my scrum questions wouldn't be exclusive. So I I cornered him as he was coming off the ice. Because he started, he has a custom groove cut into the paddle of his stick that we hadn't seen before. Mm. And I'm like, hey, can you show me what this is all about? And he showed me how he basically allows him to hold his blocker a little different, get it lower on the handle, and he feels like he has better butterfly coverage. And it was something that he got a stick from Carey Price, and Price showed him, and that's why he tried it. And this is last year. like. Yeah constantly looking for little things to get better. And it was just another perfect example of that. Um, Synaptic glasses. For four to five minutes before every game, he puts on strobe glasses, the kind that basically it flashes and takes your vision away. And he plays juggling games with one of the trainers. Like straight up Jedi stuff. Yeah. And like, and if you've ever worn those, like, yeah, it's hard, man. And then because he feels like when he takes them off, like everything looks easy <laughs> in comparison, right? Like I've had visual trainers tell me that they think strobe glasses for goalies amongst all the tools that are available, strobe glasses are the ones with the most upside. And the only guy I know in the NHL that's using it is Marc-Andre Fleury. And he just started a couple of years ago, right? Like, as he's on his 39th birthday. So I'm fascinated by that type of minutia, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the guys that embrace new things on a consistent basis, like Luongo, like Fleury, are going to be two of the four names on that 1,000-game list. Now, does this list end 
with Marc Andre Fleury? Ooh, that's a great question. Is it is it you know dash thirty dash? Are we done with the thousand game goalie? Because it's going to be awfully hard for anyone, given like Marc Andre Fleury. Think about it. He was first of all drafted first overall. Will we ever see that again? Not clear, right? Then he played in the NHL really quickly, yep. and then he played in an era before everyone was obsessed with like, hey, you shouldn't play more than sixty. Like he had some big time seasons where he logged a ton of games. Will we ever see it again, Kevin? Well, first of all, I'm making a note because you just gave me an idea for a story. Good. Thanks, Drass. You're welcome. Um, I jeez, like I, I, I asked Lou about it. I asked Lou about it when he retired. The day he retired, I've got an interview up at the Athletic where I asked Lou, "Will we ever see anyone after Mark Andre Fleury cross a thousand? And he was like, "I don't think so." Yeah. <laughs> so the name that popped the mind to me was Vasily. Yeah, and I'm just he's googling where's he at. 431. So this is his tenth year. <laughs> and this he's, is his tenth year. He's 29. Yeah. So he would have to. Now he'll he'll he'd have to do more than he's already done. But the ten is not super accurate because we're only uh, you know twenty five games into this season, right? You know what I mean? And it's yeah, counting but, as one of the seasons. But, so yeah. does he, but he just he just missed two months with back surgery, yeah. right? Like, but he would basically have to outpace his first the first ten years like, of his career over the next ten years. Think about this. Think about it this way: he's three years into his contract, right? It's three three years into his eight year contract, so yeah. he'd have to finish out this one and then sign for five more years and then also log sixty games a year. Durably for all of those ten seasons. Well, and 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 like you said about Flurry too, like he came right in, right? Like how many guys are getting that opportunity? We saw with Devin Levi this year, how, they, and that was coming off NCAA seasons, yeah, right? Like so Flower came pretty much right like from one junior. year out of the draft, yeah. like right. I remember actually, he played here right before going to World Junior. I covered the game. Marcus Naslin scored four on him that right. night, and I think the fourth was an overtime well, and winner. I think that's the last time the Canucks have ever beat him. Two thousand five. Like I don't think they've beat him in regulation since. Wow. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess they're lucky he's not starting. He's, start, he's starting tomorrow in Edmonton. <laughs> they must not have looked tonight. at the splits. <laughs> um, they, they yeah, evidently not. Um, so I like, and and I remember going in the room after, and he was going straight from there to World Juniors. Like we already knew it was his last game in the NHL before he goes to World Juniors, and he, he's a little down, and you know, like he just got beat before, and like. I was kind of like, well, it makes you feel better. Naslin holds the record for goals at the World Juniors, so it's not like it was, or he's tied with, with, <laughs> yeah. with Peter Forsberg, so it's not like it's just some schlub that lit you up for four, but, like, here we are all these years later and, and just the same smile, right? Like, so it's, uh, you're, you're right. I don't think we ever see a 1,000 again. This will, this, unless the game changes yet again. Yeah. Or we see longer seasons, like, no, man, like 55's your your target for a starting goaltender and, you know, how many years did Flower... You have to play 20 years. Yeah. Well, which he has, but even that's getting harder, right? I mean, it's harder if you... Well, you have to average 50 over 20 years, right? So, like, no injuries. I was told there'd be And you can't have that that long backup stretch at the... uh, at the end of your career, you know what I mean? Yeah, Where you're yeah. only getting 20 a year or something like that, and right? And you have to stay healthy, and you, and you probably have to be in the NHL by 21-22. Like, you have to be, you know, if you if you don't, if you take the Demco path and don't get in until 24, um, it's it's basically impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. Man, imagine if he hadn't lost 0405 to the lockout. Yeah. Like, but, like, look at his first few seasons when he got, once he got established. 67, 62, 67, 65, 67, 64, 64. 58 like 61 in 28 19 with Vegas like we're not we don't nobody starts that anymore you're right it's tougher now and especially with Gustafson getting going for him to get the minutes but 
I know his raw numbers are, don't jump off the charts right now. They took a major step back until the coaching change defensively. They were 28th in the league at 5-on-5 five five in terms of what they were giving up. Fleury actually was hovering just around expected. Like it, yeah, It's still not as bad as the raw numbers look. He, he absolutely is still good. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. The the other uh, equation in the in the Minnesota goaltending situation is Philip Gustafson. What are you seeing from him? Because he had a fantastic season last year, and I know I think a lot of people kind of looked at the Dean Evison firing and said, "Well, yeah, like his goalies aren't making a save for him." That's a, that's a lot of what went into it. Like, how much of it was the defensive environment? How much of it was the goalies? How much of it was just bad luck? Well, in they're, Minnesota. Well, they're both intertwined, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the reality. Um, is they're both intertwined, like. The expected save percentage for Gustafson dropped 20 points, and he stayed at expected. Mm. In a better environment, he the only guy who had a better adjusted numbers last year and barely was Linus Allmark. Like he was toe to toe with Linus Allmark, you know, for adjusted numbers last season, but it was behind a higher floor because of how right. good they were. They were at least mid pack to flirting with top 10 defensively. They dropped to 28th, and so his expected save percentage goes down 20 points. And his actual goes down even further because he's playing at expected. So they've improved. They're middling. Here's the thing that should be scary for the Canucks. Since the coaching change, they're middling defensively, but they're getting great goaltending. Right. Because middling is a hell of a lot better yep. than where they were. And we had this discussion with Demko last year at the beginning, right? Like, oh, they're 28th. And now they're, I think, like 19th or 20th. The bottom four or five of the league. That's a huge jump. It's yeah. it's not eight spots. It's like exponential. When yeah. you get into that tier, like where Buffalo is yeah. right now, Ottawa is right now, and then everyone goes, oh, they can't get a save. I'm like, yeah, because that Edmonton before the coaching <laughs> change. Like there's a certain level you hit, and it's just like it doesn't matter who your goal is. Yeah. Like he's not bailing you out. Minnesota was sort of that for stretches this season. What should scare the Canucks is since the coaching change, their offensive metrics are through the roof. They are like top three in everything expected goals. Um, this is going to be a test for a Vancouver team that is playing its backup and that has seemed to have lost some of that defensive identity. What, just before we move off Minnesota and what they were doing, what were the specific areas defensively that were giving them trouble, right, that led to that big drop-off from uh, you know, the expected goal environment last year to what it was, at least in the Dean Evison era this year for, for the Wild? Can't pull that up fast enough to give you the numbers, uh, but right. anecdotally yep. – um, talking to people around the team and, and actually talking to members of the coaching staff sort of just off the record. I was good to see Jason King, by the way, and actually he wasn't the one that I talked to about this, but they're playing faster. And so, you know, it's one thing, and that's the thing that analytics don't always measure, right? Like, if you... Um, so faster offensively, but also faster defensively. Mm. We know that a slot line play is worth so much. But what we don't... What we never get in any numbers is, on the other side of that slot line play, do you have somebody on you? A stick check, somebody, a forward flex or a defenseman flexing out into the lane to take away that so you don't have time and space. And that, to me, tends to be the difference between the teams that can sort of hang around middle pack and the ones that drop to the bottom. It's not only are you completing those passes against them, but you've got a chance, much like New Jersey did against Vancouver the other night, to catch it in the middle of the ice, dust it off, have a look, and pick a spot. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I texted you on Monday thinking, oh boy, I thought their defensive game against Calgary was one of the worst, their worst of the year. They still won the game. I don't think there was a huge appetite in the market to consider that. Um, and the numbers didn't really back up my point of view, but I, I was insistent on it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you. <laughs> and then they and then they absolutely played their worst defensive game of the, of the year 
against New Jersey on Tuesday. Are we seeing slippage in Vancouver's defensive environment, Kevin? We're seeing inconsistency. Mm. You know, and I so I think that's probably reflective of a team that what it's nine in a row now. They've alternated wins and losses. Like mm. that Calgary game defensively, I know what you saw, but the numbers weren't that bad. Jersey, we're right back to Tampa Bay and Philly. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Only three times all year have the Canucks given up double-digit high-danger chances against, according to ClearSight, and they were Philly, Tampa Bay back-to-back on that road early, and now New Jersey. Like, Demko gave up six. The expected was five. Like, it was it was nuts, man. <laughs> like, it was nuts. You do not see that very often. As a little side note, because I mentioned the Buffalo Sabres and because their goalies aren't getting a crap ton of heat, um, three times all season we've talked about double-digit high-danger scoring chances the Vancouver Canucks have given up. Eric Comrie's last three starts in Buffalo are all these types of numbers. He had one that was almost seven expected goals against. His expected save percentage this year is 845. (laughs) So if one more person on the national stage talks to me about goaltending in Buffalo, I might lose it. 845. 845, that's Spencer Martin's music. Like, it's, Canu- it's Canucks last year, and this yeah. is what I talk about. When you get to that level, it doesn't matter who's in net. No. They're going in. You can you, – God himself could be playing goal, so and Levi still be hooped. Levi going down an act of mercy in some ways. Like, really, right? Like, you get him out of that environment. Well, he's back now because yeah. UPL is sick, I yeah, think. So, yeah. I, and listen, if I played behind that team, I'd be sick too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I'm, like, I shouldn't overdo it. But um, it, it is – like, Comrie's getting the worst of it, and I can't help but think now that that's because there are nights where they realize what's coming and they want to shield the kids, UPL and and Devin Levi, from it. Because I've never seen anything like it. Comrie's expected last year was 865-ish, and now it's like 845 this year. Like, he is getting thrown to the wolves. Behind a team that, frankly, we hear a lot about structure here. There just doesn't seem to be any there defensively. But to go back to the Canucks, yes. Top four overall. I think they've dropped to seventh. Up till November 15th, defensively. Top four, five-on-five team. Since then... Uh, I think it was 17th. Overall, still Good. inside the yeah. top 10, yeah. but middle of the pack versus top four at the beginning. Top four teams are the type that can make noise in the playoffs. 17th ranked are the kind that are out in the first round. With Vancouver, what my, you know, anecdotally, Kevin, my observation is that of late, when the Canucks have faced elite competition, right? So when they go to Denver and, and have to match up with McKinnon, when Jack Eichel comes to town and, and picks his teeth with them, or obviously what we saw Jack Hughes do, um, the top of the lineup matchup has been a real struggle um, for the Canucks. We're now we're now entering like we're seeing Kaprizov tonight. We're going to see Aho. We're going to see Barkov, and then we're going to see Point Kucherov over the next little stretch. W- w- what do the Canucks need to clean up to to give Demko and DeSmith tonight a fighting shot here? I think to a certain extent. Like against those teams, those guys are going to get theirs, right? To a certain extent, you just they just can't be as glaring and as open and as easy as they were against New Jersey. It's the it's the ones, and I've heard talk and talk about this, and you, these are the ones you see. Like um, I mentioned, Buffalo, where it's just like, man, like there's no chance because the guy catches it off a ladder and he's got time to pull it back the other way, dust it off, and pick a corner. Like yeah. you can't give those up to those players, right? And to a certain degree, Jack Hughes creates them. Jack Eichel created them. And so, like, for all the talk of structure, we need to see it sort of hold. Mm. And that includes defensemen, not both chasing to the same corner, forwards with back pressure. Like, there's a lot of elements that seem to be evident beginning of the season and were evident against lesser teams that you need to be able to – like, this is the thing. The F3 dives, too, have been soft, man. We're we're seeing way too many times where – 
a, a defender will dive down the wall or like a head down the wall pinch and it's like they still need to be the first guy back <laughs> it's it's that's becoming a really chronic thing that you know I'm sure is frustrating for everybody in that room right now more odd man rushes right mm-hmm. like those are, we've talked about odd man rushes and what they do to your numbers so um that especially with this competition coming in I think that's important interesting that it's Casey to Smith tonight because at the beginning of the season his expected like his environment his expected save percentage was really good like they were really good in front of him and yeah. I think there were some games where people couldn't see that because Pucks go off him, and there are second chances, so it looks a little more scrambly. But both the, the quality of the first chance was, was not high when he was in net, and then they did a great job of sort of boxing out on, around him on those second chances. And again, it, this is not a criticism of Casey DeSmith. The second chance is like he keeps a lot of rebounds in front of him, so even when he's giving them up, they're not what we would call bad rebounds. It's and not those Vanacek. No. Are... <laughs> Yes, so um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so, so I, th- I, you know, it's interesting. Like, part of me is like, okay, so they go into KC tonight because hey, like that's they haven't started them five in a row. Yeah, like yeah. this four in a row, and then the other guy goes in. That's the most he's played in a row. But I wondered if they might give him one more. How much of this is how busy he was the other night? How much of it was East West? Um, or you know, hey, listen, like this team buckled down. They like. That's why it matters to be liked as a backup goalie. They buckled down for him early. Can we get their attention defensively tonight? The other question, like, about the elite, like, when are the mat? Like, I think there might need to be some decision-making changes in terms of how you're matching up against some of those elite yeah. forwards that are attacking. You're like, we, you yeah. know, do do we need a checking line? Out of the third, do you, do you need to go more to a third-line checking line? Like, I, I'm curious what happens when Pew Suter comes back as well in that regard. We definitely don't need to see more Myers head-to-head with Jack Hughes. No, and we were saying earlier, with Patterson playing with McCabe and Lafferty now, two defensively responsible wingers, does he get more of those matchup minutes as opposed to J.T. Miller, Niels Hoaglander, or I, Besser? You know, I, I should have looked at the shift charts before we came in here because early in that game against um, Jersey, it was J- it, I thought I saw more. I thought There were a couple shifts where I looked down and, there were so many bloody goals in that game I that I had my head in my well, computer far too often. And it, it's the irony. And they switched their they switched their matchups pretty quickly because they were getting dinged so hard. But I, like I saw a PD out there more against Jack. Jack I Hughes, thought, and I, yeah, and I was sort of looking but more that's because kind of Plan B. Right? Yeah, that was first yeah. choice matchup was the Miller line. Well, and, I guess and I guess Sidorov my point Myers would be we, we might need to get to the point where the first if this continues the way it has for the Miller matchup line. And hey, listen, his wingers on the left side have shifted on him a few yeah. times yeah. here, and that's part of it. But if it continues to go that way. Are we going to get to the point? That's the decision I talk about. Okay, maybe it's not a third line hard matched, whether it's Bluger or Suter. Maybe yeah. it is Elias Patterson, but go away from the one that hasn't been working against elite competition for a while. And interestingly enough, for the most part, although tonight I mentioned Minnesota attacks as well as anyone of late, um, a lot of Eastern Conference teams have kind of ha- eaten their, taken their lunch uh, offensively against this defense compared mm-hmm. to the teams there, a little more grinding out west. You mentioned Colorado, but. Maybe I know, maybe it's just a, a strength of competition, but like, there's a bunch of good teams from the East coming in here. I'm curious to see whether that trend continues. Well, and if you wanted to give Demko a couple days, right, and then a nice matchup where you know he'll only have to save half the net, you you rest him tonight and you give him Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> Still the only team in the league that seems to defy the trend towards quality over quantity. Yeah. Just throw it at net. Like, listen, it's not to the extreme it used to be, but I remember having conversations with Cam Ward uh, late in his career, and he'd be like, every night I watch us do the same thing. 
we go down out there and we dominate possession and all we do is warm up the other goalie. <laughs> and I don't see a shot for five minutes and then when I do, it's a two-on-one because we got tired because we were in their other end the whole time. And everybody comes out at the end of the night and it's like, wow, the Corsis are off the charts. You guys are great. <laughs> it's like it's, it can get a little frustrating as a goalie to watch, especially, and I think they're better at it now, but man, like some of these, what we call 99 percenters, like all you're doing is warming up the other goalie and, yeah. and they're sort of the last team that... I don't watch them enough to say they're still definitively like that, but they're still the last team to me that has a lot of that in them. Oh, they're still like that. Yeah, okay. But, but you know, it's still the NHL. Like we saw with this Canucks team. Hey, know, there was an element to just get it to the net and get pucks and bodies to the, them as the, well. The, uh, when this t- and, and they were looking like the 1980s Edmonton Oilers, and it was like all deflections and pucks off skates and, you know, off Sam Lafferty's posterior and in. I mean, that... Like, the dam does still break in this league if you're controlling play well enough, and it will for Carolina. They're going to have, like, a 15-1-2 stretch with a plus-30 goal differential, and it's going to be, like, off 10 combined grade-A chances. I feel like it's always <laughs> been a tough matchup for the Canucks, too, with the way Carolina plays. Like, they're even though their focus isn't on quality, they're able to generate quality against the Canucks because yep. they are so – they're such a, re- a relentless pressure team. So Well, and, that, and again – that's where, like, all this stuff we've talked about since talking got here about defensively and guys not chasing and not count, not compounding one mistake by making another, not having everybody going to the same guy that we we, we, we haven't seen as much of this year. Yeah. We started to see it the other night. Can you reel that back in, especially at a time where you've got Zadorov and Myers trying to get used to each other? Uh, Woodley, we really appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming up and chatting with us. Uh, that is Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Two for, two for three zone. or for three on Hyundai. <laughs> the only downside is when we called it Hyundai, Trance had like the puns going like yeah. just like <laughs> it's you know, like dad true. jokes per- were just off the charts. <laughs> Uh, Woodley, man, thanks. As always, uh, enjoy the game tonight. We'll do this again soon. And uh, that wraps it up for us today. Uh, We will be back tomorrow with the Friday edition of the show to break down tonight's results. Uh, Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.